Let's Go Tokyo with Ben O'Shea and Mark Reddings. Hello and welcome to Let's Go Tokyo. Ben O'Shea and Mark Reddings with you. It's August 4, day 12 of the Games, and it wasn't just the athletes and world records that have been shaking up the Games. The Earth has literally been doing it too. Amazing, hasn't it, over there in Tokyo? Uh, day 12, as you said, and uh, there was an earthquake during Mark Beretta's cross, of course, Sunrise. He's doing a lot of his work from there. Uh, as Carol King famously once sang, I feel the earth move under my feet. And it was like uh, amazing to see that unfold. And um, yeah, that's been uh, not a, a totally rare occurrence. And you know Tokyo better than I, Japan. What about the occurrence of earthquakes in that part of the world? Well, it's very common. I was speaking to Mark Beretta this morning, actually, after that that live cross and he said he was up on the 10th floor of the media centre overlooking the Olympic Stadium and uh, the first thing he realised something weird was happening was when he could see the camera lights uh, starting to sway from one side to the to the next and he thought oh hang on what's going on here and then he, he felt the building moving underneath him such a surreal experience I'm sure of all the times I've been to Japan I've actually never experienced an earthquake so uh, although they happen all the time like they have micro quakes that are so small you don't even feel them that, that they're happening I mean, who knows a couple of times a week or something like that but yeah a big this was a 5.8 uh, which sounds like a lot but it's really only a very minor earthquake and they're, all their buildings are, are built to withstand that sort of stuff they have a bit of a shimmy and a shake and everybody gets back to work well I'll tell you what uh, there's one Australian team that's uh, causing a few shivers and shakes amongst uh, their rivals the Kookaburras the men's hockey team they're through to that gold medal match this time against Belgium they defeated Germany so that's great news and the Boomers just tuning up for the big one tomorrow against the USA after overcoming Argentina. Their last quarter last night was something to behold. They just smashed the Argentinians. Really big victory, in fact, their biggest at Olympic level. And I'll read off the back of that, Paddy Mills, who... Uh, such a, a revered figure and of course a flag bearer for the Australians he has just signed a new deal in the NBA worth about $12 million or thereabouts to go from San Antonio Spurs to the Brooklyn Nets so he's enjoying a really good Olympic campaign but guess what the Americans, the dream team is next that is going to be must see on the screens of seven. Yeah we talk about the Boomers getting better at the right end of this tournament, the dream team has, has as well you know like they look pretty rough to start off with and before the game started but they're rounding into a bit of form now. Absolutely and look you expect that from them. They've got so much depth, so much talent and it's just a question of when they decide to press the go button. Uh, Greg Popovich of course the coach, uh, he'll make sure that they're on the same page. Really like the work of, uh, of the Australian uh, the way they, the Australians, the way they've gone about it defensively, keeping the Argentinians, I mean it was... Uh, strangled them. Strangled them completely after quarter time they got hold of them and uh, Brian Gorgian deserves great credit for what he's done with the Boomers. So uh, in terms of team sport, getting to that exciting part of, of the tournament. We know the Matilda's unfortunately out. We know that the hockey roos are gone but we've got a couple of really live chances. Yeah, absolutely. And meanwhile in the cycling last night, there was more drama than a TV <laughs> soapy. We saw crashes, allegations of cheating, snap retirements, records shattered and a 13-year reign toppled. Absolutely. It was uh, extraordinary vision and I know we're going back uh, with the, the handlebar incident. <laughs> <laughs> that, don't, get, don't get your handlebars 3D printed. I think that's the moral of that story. Well, that equipment now has been recalled, to, to my knowledge, so there's obviously some issues on that front, but uh, of course, uh, that was just one of the issues that took place. I was watching 
the TV yesterday and watching the Olympics and uh, we saw Britain and Denmark going at it. There was a bizarre crash between Frederick Madsen and Charlie Tanfield. Now, uh, as I was watching this, the, the Danish rider had his head down. Um, of course, you have to finish with three cyclists to deem that you've completed the race. He had his head down, charging uh, down the, the bottom of the velodrome and he just didn't see the GB opponent, rider, in front of him. He just clipped him. They both went down. Uh, there was a lot of consternation and a lot of cursing and, and towel-throwing by all concerned. And at the end of the day, um, you'd have to think, in my mind, that the Danes were uh, certainly in the wrong on that occasion. Yeah, and it's not just that particular incident. Uh, Great Britain and other teams have accused the Denmark team of cheating after uh, there was shin tape noticed on some of the riders and under vests, and a lot of countries believe they might be illegal. Yeah, that's an interesting one, isn't it? Uh, look, to my knowledge, what I heard is that uh, one of the... Uh, athletes was allowed to to have that that shin guard or the the, the taping that is used, but uh, the fact that all riders put them on, or certainly more than one, may fall outside the legalities at Olympic level. So, um, yeah, there's the equipment of the uh, the cyclists has been quite extraordinary. We talked about Alex Porter and what he went through with the handlebars or the handles. Um, yeah, there's an investigation taking place left, right and centre in cycling. It's been fascinating to watch. And, and, and when if you've ever been to the cycling to Ben, ben at a Olympic Games... On TV, it looks, you know, they're, they're moving. You go inside uh, and sit down and watch them in the stands. It is just a blur of just speed and, and the courage and the, the ability of these cyclist men and women to stay upright most of the time is quite extraordinary. Yeah, and I think you take it for granted just how fast, you know, sort of 60 to 70 kilometres an hour is when you're on a bike uh, on a a, a wooden velodrome that's on a camber of, what is that? What do you reckon? It's about oh, 10 degrees, something like that? It's pretty steep, and I... Probably we're not the experts to talk about that. Maybe it's more than that. It would be maybe it's thirty degrees. <laughs> it would be something quite extraordinary, uh, particularly when you know you're about to head down at a rapid rate of knots, and you've got no control at times when you've been clipped or you're certainly going to ground. It's about preserving, and we know some bark was taken off a couple of the cyclists yesterday after they uh, hit the deck. But yeah, very tough sport. And a bit of a dangerous element to it as well. Yeah, well, speaking of cycling, we've got a very special guest today. WA's elite athletes on the podium. Joining us now is someone who's been cycling since she was five years old. She went to the London Olympics and is now one of WA's cycling champions, Josie Tomich. Thanks for joining us, Josie. Hi, no worries. Thank you for having me. And now, I'm curious, we were just speaking about riders who've fallen off so far in Tokyo. Have your handlebars ever fallen off during a ride? No, they haven't. And watching that, I was just so devastated for um, the Australian team. I mean, they've put so many years of hard work and that's just um, something that's totally out of their control. So, yeah, that was scary as well. Yeah, Alex Porter, unfortunately, uh, showed great courage to get back and and compete and, and get uh, himself back in action. But, yeah, that must have been heartbreaking. Uh, Josie... In terms of what we've seen in the cycling so far, we've, we've talked about there's been as much controversy and, and allegations and incidents uh, with regards to equipment and, and allegations of cheating. What have you made of this cycling at to Tokyo so far? Yeah, I mean, from what I've seen, it's been pretty dramatic. We obviously had um, Alex Porter's handlebars um, snap off and then... Yesterday, we had the crash between the Danish rider and the um, British rider. Um, 
And then obviously there's been the um, debate about the Danes having the um, strip of tape down the front of their legs and the, and how that affected the aerodynamics and everything. So it's been really interesting, um, very dramatic, and um, I don't really know what to make of it, to be honest. it's um, I feel really bad for the Australian males who that would have really, um, you know, that would have really hurt Alex Porter and it would have really kind of affected their ride. So um, it would have been interesting to see what they would have done without that happening. Mm. And talking about that tape, we were trying to figure out what the potential benefit of something like that is. You mentioned aerodynamics. Is that is that what it's about? Look, that uh, that's all I can think of. Um, and I know that there are rules to do with how much skin has to be showing. So mm. obviously you can't wear full-length skin suits and lycra. So I'm wondering, um, I also remember when I was riding, there was a certain height that your booties, which cover your shoes, um, could could go to so i'm guessing it's something to to do with our aerodynamics and i guess countries are always looking for those small elements um that could um, make up time and where they could improve um because it is just coming down to those you know hundreds of a second so i'm guessing that's what it's to do with but i don't actually know i'm not there yeah, right. And in, in that yeah. hunt for those hundredths of a second, uh, they're putting in so much effort and going so fast. And we've seen Alex take a spill. Can you give us an idea of what that's actually like when you're going so fast and on that particular surface? Yeah, so um, I'm a teacher now. I was actually talking to my class about that. We watched the crash and um, I said to them, you know, his head... Um, he just would not have expected that. So he would have had his head down in an aerodynamic position and then to, um, to be going so fast and um, not have seen that coming, it would, have been, it would have been over before he knew it, but it would have been a massive shock to the system. And you could see when he crashed, his head actually hit the track. The track's obviously made of wood that, and there's splinters and, yeah, it would have been um, an awful crash. Uh, Joshi, you talked about you being a school teacher. I'm, I'm guessing uh, primary school, am I on the right page there? Yeah, I teach year twos. Okay, yeah. so off the back of that, they must think you're a superhero given what you've done and watching these cyclists hit the deck in Tokyo. Uh, can you tell us whether even at that age, I mean, I grew up as a young boy and the Olympics you'd watch hopefully on TV when you could, so certainly nowhere near the, the access we have now, but is there a similar feeling amongst these young boys and girls that wow this is something quite special that our country gets to enjoy once in a every four years or so yeah i've really enjoyed um watching a little bit of the olympics with my class this year and i've actually felt that because um they know that i went and they have that connection now even the kids who aren't really into sport they're actually really inspired and they wanted to ask so many questions about it um and they're asking deep questions you know and and coming to me and asking me how they can get better at things and um it's like they're kind of daring to dream. So I remember when I was a kid, I always dreamt of going to the Olympics, but it always seemed so far away and it kind of seemed impossible. So I think um, it's really nice to be able to kind of inspire these kids and especially the ones who are really driven and, and you know, do have those kind of goals. Um, it's really nice to be able to um, support them and kind of offer them advice and tips. And, and yeah, it's, it's been nice to watch to watch them. Be inspired. Yeah, yeah, exactly. We're speaking to Josie Tomic, uh, a cyclist who went to the Olympics and uh, watching on from afar now as the Australians search for success over there in Tokyo. Just as an outsider, I guess, uh, looking on now, how have you assessed the Australians so far over there in at the Olympics in cycling? Um, yeah, look, I think they would probably be feeling pretty disappointed. I mean, I think the men's 
um, teams pursuit were really unlucky. And um, cycling is a really hard sport. Often there is a lot of luck involved, whether it's crashing, punctures, that kind of thing. Um, I'm sure the women are disappointed too. I'm not sure, you know, how they were tracking in training, um, but I'm sure they were really aiming for a medal. It's been three Olympics. We missed out um, by point one in London and then they missed out in Rio they had a crash that crash before the racing and the trading and now they've missed out again so um I'm sure they're feeling pretty gutted at the moment um and yeah I guess something needs to change and um yeah something needs to change before the next Olympics and hopefully um the girls can get back in the medals in the team's pursuit and to be honest I'm not really sure about the sprinters I don't think the um Carly has raced yet um but I think the I'm not sure how the boys would be feeling about this their sprint event yesterday where they got fourth speaking of fourth I don't like to revisit painful times but uh, team pursuit as you mentioned in London um how long did that take you to recover from missing out on on a medal uh I guess a lot of people say fourth in the world is still a, a remarkable achievement but every athlete sets their standards pretty high yeah it was pretty devastating at the time I remember um I knew I was going to retire from cycling after those Olympics so I think that um I was really devastated from my coach I really wanted him to I wanted to finish off with a medal from him we had a really close relationship um and devastated for my family who'd been there all along the way and the other girls in the team um but then I guess once I retired I kind of um saw sport and cycling as a small part of my life and um now, when I look back, I'm really proud on the success I had, but I'm also, um, you know, really um, proud of, you know, where how it's helped me um, move on in my life and it's taught me lots of lessons that I've learned from and, and I have to think I'm a better person because of all of it and um, whether I had a medal or not wouldn't really change that. Mm, here, here. And, and so how do you think, given how tough it was in those couple of days after uh, that result uh, in London, to think about these athletes now in Tokyo who maybe haven't been successful or as successful as they've wanted to, now instead of being able to hang around for the closing ceremony, they've got to jump on a plane, come back to Australia, 14 days with their thoughts in hotel quarantine. Yeah, that's really tough. I mean, I think for the cycling team, a lot of them will still have races. So hopefully they can turn um, the results from yesterday around and maybe um, come home with something still. So, um, But for the other athletes in other sports who have come home disappointed and empty-handed and then kind of have to be um, locked away in quarantine without that support um, from their family and friends, I can imagine um, it would be tough, but I'm sure and I'm really hoping that... Um, you know, this, uh, their sports have thought about that and have got support systems in place ready to help those people who, you know, their mental health does need to be protected and looked after. So I'm sure something has been put in place and I really hope that's the case. Absolutely, and let's hope they get home a little more uneventfully than, say, our Ollie, our Ollie Roos and maybe some of our Rugby Sevens who uh, have copped a bit of heat over there uh, with behaviour on a flight back from Japan. But uh, that's what can happen at the end of an Olympic campaign. Of course, Australia v New Zealand for bronze tonight in the men's team pursuit. Now, Josie, just quickly, cycling, how did you get into it? Uh, was it by accident? Uh, I heard a whisper that Rottnest Island might have played a part somewhere. Why yeah, and how? I mean, um, I used to ride around Rottnest Island from a really young age. Um, I guess I was just always really competitive. Um, I kind of picked up every sport and I just knew I was 
going to go to the Olympics. I didn't really care what sport it was for. And then um, I did running and I thought I did swimming and then I thought I'd try triathlons and then cycling was my strongest leg. So um, I stuck with that and I just um, loved the thrill of being on a bike, the freedom you got, um, how you got to explore the world, you know, um, training through the Pyrenees and mountains and all the beautiful places you would see. So, yeah, kind of um, I kind of fell into it, but I um, really loved it. Mm. And and you were there in an era with Victoria Pendleton, Anna Mears. What was what was that period of the sport like, and how does it compare to where we're at now? Yeah, so um, when I was around, kind of Anna Mears and um, Victoria Pendleton, I guess we're at the height of London. Twenty twelve was there a huge rivalry, um, and it was fascinating to watch and be so close to. Um, and yeah, I guess now I. I'm not following cycling cycling as closely as I used to. Um, I'm really into it now that the games are on, but I I haven't heard of any stories like that. So hopefully, you know, in the coming years, some huge stars like that do come through, especially in the women's side. I mean, I think in the women's um, endurance, there's some really big British and American girls coming through and obviously the German teams. So there's still lots of excitement. Um, And I'm sure that people who are into cycling are really enjoying watching and seeing how it all unfolds. Listening to Adam, is in commentary uh, she was very anxious and uh, she said this is a far tougher deal sitting behind the microphone commentating than actually being out on the track and, and giving your all for your country I mean I don't know if she was an idol of yours but given her record given the setbacks and injuries she had um, she is just a, an icon of the sport I'm sure you feel the same way uh, being someone who's uh, achieved at the highest level Yeah Anna's amazing and um, I think you know for children if they need someone to look up to they should just follow her story and see what she's come back from um she had so many things that she had to overcome and she just kept performing to such a high level so yeah it's really quite amazing but um that is an interesting comment that she felt more nervous watching i guess um she probably like knew when she was racing she was in control of her own destiny and the results whereas yeah i guess from the sideline you all you can do is kind of cheer yeah and and what about you josie do you still get on the pushy um i do very casually i've got a daughter now she's almost seven so i've started getting her on the bike a little bit she's up to doing 20k rides wow. she's loving it. um yeah so but i'm loving running i'm training for a half marathon at the moment so um and obviously i work full time in the classroom so i try and stay really healthy and fit but um you know you wouldn't see me out um doing 100 plus right kilometer rides anymore that's for sure but i do enjoy going for a little ride with my daughter and stuff like that oh we wouldn't see us doing it either josie (laughs) yeah i just don't (laughs) think it's that enjoyable Uh, now one (laughs) one young man we talk about adversity and what anna mears went through and what she was able to achieve i mean someone like matthew glatzer uh, coming back from cancer diagnosed with thyroid cancer in 2019 missed the world championships last year torn calf unfortunately lost his coach the great gary west uh, from motor neuron disease in 2017 all this stuff is extraordinary i'm not sure if you've got uh, any idea about the uh, the background with Ma- matthew but uh, to then go on and compete at this level it's uh, it's almost beyond words what he's been through yeah, it is amazing. Um, I don't really know Matthew well, obviously, since um, 
I went to London with him and that was it. Um, but it's absolutely amazing and inspiring what he's managed to overcome and hopefully, I mean, fingers crossed, he, he can be rewarded, um, you know, with a nice shiny medal at these games. But if not, I'm sure um, he would still feel very proud that he's there and that he's managed to overcome all of those all of those things. And I guess that's the thing about the Olympics is a lot of the time we don't know the story behind each athlete and what they've had to overcome to get there. Um, you kind of just see that that race, but you don't really know about all the layers and all the things they've overcome to just be there on the start line. Yeah, and it's great when those backstories come out, especially for the kids watching along, kids like the ones in your classroom, Josie. Uh, so we have to say a massive thank you to you, London Olympian and one of WA's cycling champions, Josie Tomich. Thanks for being on Let's Go Tokyo. No worries. Thank you for having me. Aussies in action. Well, it seems like when the sailing categories, all the Aussies have to do is just turn up. Well, at this point, because uh, our 15th gold medal essentially is assured. That's the equation, really, for Matthew Beltra and Will Ryan. They've accumulated a big enough lead in the 470 class to take out gold and add to that Australian impressive medal tally. Of course, we know Matt Wern already locked and loaded uh, an Olympian a gold medalist. A fantastic performance. So um, we just know that they have to uh, essentially not capsize or do but something. Can you imagine what a feeling that would be, knowing going into your last race, you don't have to win. doesn't matter if you come last. Uh, as long as you make it across the finish line, they're going to be hanging a gold medal on your neck. They've got a 20-point lead uh, heading into the final uh, day of racing. It's a bit like, uh, dare I say it, uh, you've got nine wickets in hand, you've got to hit ten runs uh, to win the Ashes, you know you're going to win, or, or ten goals up in the final quarter of a grand final. You get to savour the moment yeah, yeah. Uh, for, for 10, yeah. 15 minutes, which is so rare in sports. So, uh, Matty Belcher, Will Ryan, uh, unless a disaster... Just don't our, fall into the drink, boys. Our 15th gold medalist. Now, we're hoping there's 16 coming up later this evening when WA's, we're claiming it's yeah, WA's, Peter Bowl. Yeah, that would be just the most incredible Olympic experience. And we've seen so many amazing moments, but I reckon Peter Boll, if he would win the 800 metres, which is, you know, like it's it's no sure thing. It would be a massive achievement by him to do so, but he's in with a red-hot chance. If he could do that, it would just be amazing. He wrote in uh, the West Australian Today, in his own words, what the Olympic experience was like, what it meant to him, and what it meant to know that the whole of the country was behind him. Uh, it's just so special. And terrific articles by uh, Steve Butler through the journey of Peter Boll, who's been followed quite closely. Closely, Sudanese refugee, and now he's now based in Melbourne, of course. But uh, one of the great lines from his coach, Justin Rinaldi, uh, he was seen in the, the athlete's village or in the dining area, uh, pictured by himself, and he said to his coach, uh, in so many words, I'm not here to make friends. Now, that might sound he's being arrogant or aloof, but he's a pretty uh, social person to my understanding. So to put himself into that zone, now whether it works for him, we'll find out later on this evening. But if that's uh, where he's at, um, and such a such a great backstory. It? Apart from the, the the refugee element, which uh, adds so much drama to it, uh, university degree speaks three or four languages. Yep, just a, a great Olympic story. And count him very much in the that group of athletes who who take that old line from um, uh, Billie Jean King that you know pressure is a privilege. That's the way he looks at it. He said he doesn't feel any pressure going into this final. He just feels so proud uh, and so excited. And he said that now is time. To execute. Absolutely. And uh, as Bruce McAvaney said, he can win gold. It might take a bit of luck. Uh, and of course, things have to go his way. But he's in the conversation heading into a final. I don't think since Herb Elliott uh, won uh, a medal in that uh, department that we've been thinking this yeah. is a, well, a well, lot chance. We've got to be careful, Skeet, because we put the mocker on well, the Australian did. women's did we put water the polo. On? No, I don't think. I don't think 
<laughs> maybe it was our guest Joel yesterday, uh, the former water polo champ that, that did it. They lost to the Russian Olympic Committee last night, so bad luck for them. But in the 10-kilometre swim, pretty good. Karina Lee, now this bronze medal is quite extraordinary. The 10-kilometre swim, a temperature of 29 degrees in the water, but she was so far back in this swim it wasn't funny. And then she just ground her way back into the contest to, in the end, pick up a bronze medal. Uh, two seconds, from my understanding, separated first from third. So what a finish that was. Um, and it's all about, of course, uh, apparently the, the, the water they were swimming in, a bit like the Yarra. Not that flash. Pretty uh, dirty and... Uh, and warm as well. And warm. 31 degrees. Yeah, she's, she had was... to, she's had to train in a heated pool in Darwin to get ready for it. And then during the race, I like this, she was hit by a large fish, which is actually incredible. If you're a large fish, you wouldn't be anywhere near the coast of Japan, would you? You'd, you'd end up... Sliced up in uh, sashimi in no time. Absolutely. And, and after the race, she called her 82-year-old coach, John J.R. Rogers, who was unable to travel to Tokyo because of poor health. It reminds me of the story here of uh, Karina, of Shelley Taylor-Smith, of course, our, our world champion long-distance swimmer who used to swim uh, the, the Brooklyn... Uh, course and, and around Manhattan and she at times came across uh, all manner of objects um, be they corpses <laughs> um, human waste uh, just a horrendous experience but she just said put the goggles on put the oil on, put the head down and just swim and um, I'm not sure it's as bad as this for Karina today but uh, certainly it was a bit mer- 31 degrees. Yeah, it's like a bath uh, Meanwhile skateboarding uh, we know has been one of the highlights of the Olympics Australia's Poppy Olsen considered a Australia's best skateboarder got through to the final. She ended up in fifth spot. But the fun thing about it was Tony Hawk, the skateboarding superstar, the legend of the sport, took it upon himself to jump on his laptop and commentate the skateboarding live on Instagram. Well, he's probably as well placed as any broadcaster to do that, given there's not too many in my mind skateboarding commentators floating around the world. I might be wrong, but you're in an elite field there. Um, So congratulations. What about our decathletes? Two Aussies in the decathlon, Ashley Maloney and Cedric Dubler. Now, I've just seen some of the action from the field events as part of the decathlon. And um, Ashley and Cedric... I've seen a, a PB in there as well. So they're doing pretty well, which is fantastic. Of course, you have to be the master of 10 sports. They're all varied from the 100-metre dash, long jump, shot put, high jump, 400-metre run. Talk about an exhausting campaign. Yeah, I, and I love this this event because they're not all great at the same ones. So you have someone who's maybe you know an incredible high jumper, so is going to do well in that particular uh, category. Uh, but then they might be not that flash in the 110 meter hurdle. So another athlete is going to gain some ground there. So you don't really know to the end. It's a bit like the you know all round gymnastics where some people are better at certain apparatus. It's it's fascinating, and they're also you know you'd have to make the case that they're almost the the most supreme athletes at the games. Uh, yeah, the most. But you have to ask yourself, why? Why would you put yourself through? Because you're not good enough to win any single one of those events. So well, you, but you're pretty good at all of them. You've been quite blunt there. But, yeah, so the hurdles, the discus throw, the pole vault, and then, of course, um, the javelin, the 1,500-metre run. Ashley Maloney, by the way, a star of the sport, second in the 100, third in the shot put, and second in the long jump today. So that's an outstanding performance. And we've got a real WA flavour when it comes to the golf in the women. Yeah, Minji Lee and Hannah Green in the women's individual golf right now. Minji Lee currently sitting in 11th spot at one under, and Hannah Green in 34th uh, at uh, one over. 
very contrasting lead-ups to the Tokyo Olympics. Uh, Minji Lee winning a major tournament uh, a month or so ago. Hannah Green's been stuck in WI. The weather as it's been, I'm not sure how often she's been able to get out in the course. So uh, very <laughs> different build-ups for the two highly talented Western Australians. Fingers crossed. I think we might be able to snatch a medal somewhere there. Yeah, you'd hope so. Minji, I think, is pretty well-placed at the moment. And let's talk about Australia. They're well-placed when it comes to the medal tally. Sitting fourth, which is just absolutely astonishing. Still plenty of time to go in this Olympics. If we finish fourth by the end, uh, it would be you know one of the all-time great achievements by this country. We've got 14 golds uh, with 15 in the horizon, uh, four silvers, 16 bronze. China in top spot still. They got 32 golds, so, you know, they're killing it. Followed by uh, USA and then the host nation, Japan, rounding out the top three. Yeah. And wait for age uh, in terms of our population. We are just going beautifully. It has been a remarkable performance by all the athletes there, but from an Australian perspective, they have just performed, I think, above most of our expectations. Tokyo's top moments. And I like this. So British athlete Tom Bosworth, uh, Worth, who's a, who's a competitive walker, he's lashed out at the International Olympic Committee over the what he calls prison conditions at the race walking venue in Sapporo, which is in the, the North Island of Hokkaido in Japan. It's Australians will know it. It's, you probably land in Sapporo when you go skiing in Niseko. Uh, it's the main capital city up there, of course, the home of the uh, famous Sapporo beer. Mm-hmm. And in a series of angry tweets that he's since deleted, Bosworth has criticised the slop being served up in a sweaty school dining hall uh, at the venue, uh, and his uh, his challenge was a twenty kilometre walk on Thursday. And the thirty one year old thirty one year old wrote, "Hey IOC, you know the millions you make off the Olympics. Any chance in the week of our race we could get some food like meals, not cold slop, steamed onions, or partly cooked pasta? This is the <laughs> pinnacle of sport. Sapporo feels like a prison. Not sure he'll make it onto the IOC committee <laughs> at any time soon, but uh, he's had a crack at them. Uh, what about? Indian javelin thrower Niraj Chopra. He came, he warmed up, he threw his first attempt at 86.65 metres, qualified for the final, he left. <laughs> That's the way to do it. Just go in there, you deliver, you skedaddle. You know, it reminds me a bit of uh, Seinfeld. So uh, all his best work, episodes complete, I can't get any better than this, we're off. Yeah, yep, sayonara. I can top that. Did you see the Swedish pole vaulter who's getting a lot of attention, and not just for his gold medal winning performance last night, Armand Mondo de Plantis uh, is getting so much attention online at the moment for his charisma and looks. Like People are comparing him to uh, Timothy Chalamet, who's one of Hollywood's top heartthrobs at the moment. They're swooning over the 21-year-old, uh, and it's not just for his like movie star good looks. It's also for his demeanour, his attitude. He had such a chilled vibe. He looked like he was willing to laugh at himself and I can tell you uh, he has the uh, the ladies in a froth. Well I reckon this subject has been put in here by our female producer Kate <laughs> who may have just taken a, a bit of a sparkling to to our uh, our Swedish pole vaulter so we'll put that in the bin and let uh, her go and <laughs> yeah, make we've contact. Bad, we've got some bad news for Kate he's got a girlfriend <laughs> uh, a, a pretty hot model from uh, from all accounts. That's okay apparently DMs are the way to go <laughs> if that's a direct message anyway whatever it is. He wouldn't be the first sports star that's fallen for that trap. <laughs> Let's go to Brazilian volleyball star Lucio who competes in a mask to protect family's health. I've seen uh, this guy. Yeah, well, give us a bit of a back. I mean, he's wearing a mask while competing at the Olympics, protecting his family, not sending a message. Uh, he's got a five-year-old son back at home in Brazil who needs an inhaler because of respiratory issues. So he's saying essentially to his family, I'm doing the right thing by you and, of course, the athletes around you. He's got uh, his son, his wife and a newborn daughter. Said he doesn't want to be uh, the model for using the mask as his main point. It's to protect himself and his family. 
Yeah, well, it's a it's a lovely thing, uh, and I have to admit, I watched them, the Brazilians play, and I thought, why is that bloke wearing a mask? And I did think that it was because maybe he had a bit of a cold, and he didn't want anyone else to catch it. We did have COVID in January, so he had a fever, bad headache, no major issues. But you know what? Each to their own, and he's doing what he has to do, and uh, all kudos to him. And look, I've always wondered what the relationship between Katie Ledecky and Ariane Titmus is. You know, after their incredible rivalry in the pool in Tokyo, Katie Ledecky and Ariane Titmus, it turns out it's a bit of a love fest. The American swimming sensation has shown her appreciation for the Aussie super swimmer, uh, as well as several other international rivals, in a heartwarming post on Twitter this morning. She posted four photos of herself alongside athletes from other nations with the caption, Embrace the World, followed by hashtag Stronger Together. Brilliant, isn't it? And I'm, I've got my promoter's hat on here. If we could somehow get Katie Ledecky across to Australia in the next 12 months, all things being equal, imagine having that uh, a bit like a, a swim-off between yeah, a the super t- series. a super series between our you know our best of the best. Yeah, and right having, here at Challenge Stadium. Absolutely. Well, yeah, somewhere. Beatty Park even. Yeah. <laughs> somewhere that can accommodate. We need a crowd, it's, of course. Now, here it is. Scarborough Beach Pool. That's perfect. By the beach. Abs- That'd be, can you imagine? So, a tourism draw card. Hey. You know where you heard it first here on Let's Go Tokyo. <laughs> that has got the makings in all seriousness. It's so promotable in summer. Ledecky, Titmus, get them together. Two countries collide, two superstars and two very popular personalities. Yep, fantastic. You count me on board, I'll buy a ticket. Uh, and now let's look at what's coming up uh, with the Opals today taking on the USA. Uh, now, in sports betting parlance, they're a dollar for the USA mm. uh, and a 15-point head start for the Australians, which means it's going to be really tough for our... We do have, I think, five WNBA players in our squad, so we are well-equipped to do well against the Americans, and we have beaten them in an exhibition game heading into the Olympics. So that gives us some hope. Going to be tough, though, but... Uh players lining up on court as we speak it's going to be a a pulsating hopefully a couple of hours for Australian basketball of course the Opals go into this campaign winning without Liz Cambage Uh, it's some ups and downs but that big win over Puerto Rico means they're right here now yeah, they've definitely got a chance. You've got to be, to be the best, you've got to beat the best, and that's what they'll be required to do today. Uh, and then for those who like traditional Olympic sports, who look at something like, say, the discus and the javelin, and they think, yeah, that's how they did it in ancient Greece, well, you'll be excited to see Aussie Genevieve Gregson in the 3,000-metre steeplechase final at 7pm tonight. It's a pretty old-school event, that one. It is indeed, and of course... Importantly, 8 o'clock tonight, thereabouts, we've got the Peter Bowles 800-metre final. So all that ahead of us coming up in Tokyo 2020. Yeah, we've got Matthew Glatzer. We mentioned him before in our chat with Josie. He's overcoming cancer and losing his coach. Lots of obstacles in his way. Uh, There'll be none of those obstacles on the velodrome tonight. Well, he'll be in the men's sprint qualifying event today at 2.30pm. Wish him all the best out there on the velodrome. Absolutely. Uh, Heading to tomorrow and looking at what's ahead uh, after losing to the Russian Olympic Committee last Last night, the Stingers played Canada in water polo for fifth or eighth spot, so we'll keep an eye on that. Yeah, and can Australia's Kai Edwards get another medal in the men's 10-kilometre swim final? That starts at 5.30am tomorrow. Nice early start. Australia versus Latvia in the beach volleyball. Semi-final at 9am. That's been really great. Great scenes last night, yesterday, watching uh, the Australian pair upset the Canadians, get through. Of course, they had some disappointment going back to uh, the Commonwealth Games gold medal. But uh, real chance for Australia to pick up a medal would be terrific to see. And that's one sport, I reckon, that has been hit worse than others by the lack of a crowd because the beach volleyball is where you always see the crowd is so pumped up. You've got the DJ playing the music. The atmosphere is always amazing. The action on the sand has been incredible. Um, And so we hope we get a good result there. Matildas playing Team USA for bronze. Probably not, you know, where either team wanted to be at this stage of the 
Olympics, but still, it's going to be a massive, massive match. And speaking of the USA and Australia, the Boomers, semi-final, 12-15, almost much must-viewing for anyone who loves their Olympics and, and basketball because the USA, they should be winning, but the Boomers, Paddy Mills leading from the front, as we said at the top of Let's Go Tokyo, they have found some really nice form. Their victory over Argentina, so impressive. Can they back it up? Can we finally avoid fourth spot and get a medal? Yeah, exactly. That's one of the most eagerly anticipated events for Australia in this entire Olympics. And then you got the big one. Be watching from 6pm tomorrow night for the gold medal match between the Kookaburras and the Belgium team. And according to Mark Reddings, it's a foregone conclusion. Not foregone conclusion, but I said they would not go through uh, 2020 Tokyo with a loss. And at this point, I'm proven correct. They are the best in the world. But I wouldn't course, bet against them. No, but by the same token, Belgium, impressive in their semi-final. Australia, uh, they are number one ranked in the world. There's a bit of pressure on them, but there's different between pressure and stress. I think they'll absorb that. And Colin Batch, as we heard from Sally Carbon, has done a terrific job with this group. I think they can go all the way. Yeah, I reckon you're right. And that's it from us today. You can catch all the action from the Olympics at thewest.com.au. Join Skeet Night tomorrow as we speak to WA boxing superstar Danny Green and bring you all the highlights from the Tokyo Olympics. You've been listening to Let's Go Tokyo by The West Live with Ben O'Shea and Mark Reddings.